Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Hi. I'm Robert Mack from robertmack.com. Thanks. And thanks for coming tonight. I know you didn't have to. You could have stayed in and turned your brain off and stuck your head in front of that rectangle with the endless parade of changing characters that turns your brain into mush, right? Stupid books. Can books talk to you and show you moving pictures? I don't think so. Save a tree, watch TV. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, episode 78. My name is Dr. David C. Noe. I'm here in the Vomitorium with Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle. Yes. And who's our special guest? Our special guest today is comedian Robert Mack. This is a professional comedian, yeah, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Not, yes, not one of these thanks. guys who... Uh, I'm not, I'm not some um, lame guy who does dad jokes. I'm... <laughs> oh, no. no. He's the real deal. Yeah, real exactly. Deal. Is that... Is that the voice of Robert Mack from robertmack.com? It is, right. He's not a, he's not a hack like, like us do. No, no, no. We got him on the podcast yep. today to talk about what? Talk about comedy. All right. Right. And talk about um, what goes into writing of comedy, what makes comedy work, what are the challenges of mm-hmm. being a comedian in this day and age. Maybe uh, is comedy cruel enough? It, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. How can it be crueler? Yes. Right, right. So, um, but um, yeah, so uh, why don't we start by uh, talking uh, to our guest who's yes. been waiting for her. Yeah. Us, yeah. And, he's, uh, in, he's in the green room there in D.C. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're really, really glad to have you with us today that you made the time. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit, uh, we're going to get to our shout out in a minute, but can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, you know, where are you coming to us from? Uh, I'm coming from the background here. You can see my building is right <laughs> behind me here on the Zoom. I don't know if our listeners can see the same thing. I grew up in uh, outside Seattle in a little town called Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And I, I was a writing major. I always wanted to write real bad, and now I can. And I <laughs> fell in love with uh, getting on stage and telling jokes. And I did my first open mic about, oh, 29 years ago. And wow. never looked back, and I've been doing this since, writing jokes, performing jokes, and touring the country and parts of the world as a comedian. Yeah, well, we are just uh, thrilled to have you here. Uh, I was introduced to uh, Robert, thanks to the wonders of YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, something called Dry Bar Comedy. Yes, and, the, and then you sent that link to me. And, I sent and, that link to and you. And we said, this guy's, this guy's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. then a couple of weeks later, after we had recovered from paroxysms of laughter, yes. called him up and said, uh, would you like to come on the show? And he generously agreed to do so. Yeah. So, Robert, when, when, you, when did you that that first uh, open mic night was? It, you were were you in college or or I was. What, uh, what led you to that? I was just out of college. I had some friends who were performing. Uh, one of them, you know, more than another, pushed me to to get on stage. I wrote some jokes that that particular friend ended up doing, and when I saw him <laughs> getting laughs from my jokes, I thought, you know, it just mm. felt funny. So I, uh, <laughs> like your best friend's girlfriend and she, she used to be mine, right? <laughs> right. I'm like, Hey, that he's getting my laughs. So I, right. I, I mustered up the courage 
and got on stage. And that first set, I got bitten. I got the bug and, and fell in love with it. And I had a good response. I, I was up in a nice part of the lineup. The audience was already warmed up a little bit. They brought me up and said, this guy, it's his first time, you know, be generous. And it went over very well. And mm. like I said, I got hooked. Wow. Well, was, was this in Tucson? This was in Tucson, Arizona at a club that is still considered my home club called Laughs. Uh, I, I performed there. Well, the, the, the last couple of years, the schedule has been screwy, but I performed there every year or so. I was there a few months ago. And mm. it uh, has a special place in my heart and in my memory because that's where that's where it all began. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the the audience doesn't know this maybe, but uh, Robert Mack from RobertMack.com is a is a very successful comedian. I counted something like over four million uh, YouTube views for some of his material. Yeah. And uh, we have some funny, funny stuff to share with the audience today. But you might be asking, audience. What does this have to do with classics, Jeff? I'm not exactly sure myself. Oh, come on. No, when you talk about comedy in, in terms of, um, of classical literature and classical history, you're, um, you're going to run into Aristotle and his famous lost treatise uh, on comedy. That's right. And, this uh, one here? He, what's that? This one here? I think I think I've got it. He's got it. He's holding it up. <laughs> got it out of his glove box right. Right next to the oven. But we, we know that the comedy was something that uh, the Greeks were very interested in, something yes. that they certainly pioneered in the Western tradition. So they were also very interested in kind of what makes comedy work. Right. What function does it have in society? Can it make a society better? Can it make it worse? And so I think those questions are still very much alive today. Yeah, absolutely. Is this The second book of Aristotle's Poetics, the lost book, uh, apparently dealt specifically with, uh, with comedy, comedy. What, yeah. what makes it work. So what we're going to do today, audience, is uh, we're going to first give our shout out. We're going to give the opening quote here, which is from Umberto Eco's The Name of the Rose. And uh, Robert Mack, a very patient guest, is uh, going to just hold on for a second. And then we're going to play a series of clips from some of his best material and get the uh, the genius behind the jokes to tell us really what makes this funny and uh what goes into the, the process of writing? How does that sound, Jeff? That sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Yep. So why don't you start with the uh, the shout-out? All right. So our shout-out today goes to one Bill McFarland, yep. um, who apparently is a listener of the podcast. We're right? thankful for that. Yes. Um, he says uh, he's not classically uh, trained. His degrees were in math and physics. Okay. Um, but he's a bit of an autodidact, and he loves to learn. Mm. Um, he's a, a fan of the classics and history, along with theology. And um, he first heard about the podcast from your site, uh, the Latin Per Diem right. uh, uh, pod, uh, podcast, um, and uh, hopes one day to, to study Latin and Greek. Okay. Um, but he thinks he need, might, might need to retire first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he loved the, uh, the Odysseus episodes and the interview with Ross King. He's going to love the one with Robert Mack, I'm a- sure. Absolutely. Because this guy likes to laugh. I'm it's glad obvious. somebody loved the Odyssey episodes. Oh, right? man. They yeah. were dogs. Yes. Dogs. Right. I just didn't really get the downloads we wanted. Yes. But, oh, but well. thanks, Bill, for, for listening. Thanks, Bill, very much. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different here with the opening quote, right? Yep. yep. So this is from a novel by Umberto Eco, 1980, The Name of the Rose. Mm-hmm. And this is going to set up the, the connection, the tie-in with our guest, Robert Mack and Aristotle. That's right. It okay. was a great book, a uh, horrible movie with uh, uh, Sean Connery and Christian uh, Slater. I you believe. didn't like Sean Connery? I usually like him, but it, that movie was a, was, a, was a stinker. It was a bust. Okay. Right. So the, the, one of the, the, uh, one of the, the hook in this book okay. 
is that um, the lost book of, of comedy by Aristotle has been has been found. All right, and it's still kind of making controversial waves within uh, the um, kind of the Catholic orders. Yeah, the monastic system. Yep. Okay, so you're gonna play Jorge, and I'll be William. Yes, I'll be Jorge. All right, let's go. All right. I trust my words didn't offend you or brother offend you, brother William, but I heard the persons laughing at laughable things. You Franciscans, however, belong to an order where merriment is viewed with indulgence. Yes, it's true. Saint Francis was much disposed to laughter. My laughter is a devilish wind which deforms the lineaments of the face and makes men look like monkeys. Monkeys do not laugh. Laughter is particular to man. As is sin. Christ never laughed. Can we be so sure? There's nothing in the scriptures to say that he did. And there's nothing there to say that he did not. Even the saints have been known to employ comedy to ridicule the enemies of the faith. For example, when the pagans plunged St. Maurus into the boiling water, he complained that his bath was cold. The sultan put his hand in and scalded himself. A saint immersed in boiling water does not play childish tricks. He He restrains his cries and suffers for the truth. And yet, Aristotle devoted his second book of poetics to comedy as an instrument of truth. Venerable brother, there are many books that speak of comedy. Why does this one fill you with such fear? Because it's by Aristotle. Aristotle, you ooh, a name to conjure with. Yes. So, uh, we need to get started then, don't we? We do. Uh, we're going into the lost uh, second book of the poetics with Robert Mack, Aristotle. That's right. All right, so Robert, um, as we uh, kind of get into kind of the, the heart of the episode here, um, I'm just, I'm curious, like you know, uh, you're a comedian, been doing this for many, many years. Um, do you spend a lot of time kind of reflecting on on comedy, kind of the the place of comedy, what what um, you know, what uh, place it has in society, what is the role of the comedian? I'm wondering if you if you could share some thoughts on that. I probably spend too much time. I I, I would say most comedians are analysts more than anything and we sit and we watch and we break things down in order to make jokes but we also analyze everything including society and these days with the environment the way it is with culture and and cancel culture and all of that has made it uh sort of top top discussion point these days is what what should comedy do what can it do who should be allowed to do it who should be allowed to complain. So it does come up often these days. And I was recently canceled. I did a uh, some material what? online. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was, uh, that. It, it still kind of rubs me the wrong way. I totally get mm. what they're saying, but comedy is a thing where if you're not up for it, you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't take it in. Right, mm. right. I, mm-hmm. It's a little bit of the buyer beware sort of thing. You know what you're getting in advance. And, and that's sort of the, the downside of comedy becoming so mainstream. In the old days, you would have to go to a, spe- a specific place, get your ticket, get a couple drinks, go usually underground, and you had an investment of time and, and energy and money to see a comedy show. Now, anyone right. can just pull a phone out of their pocket and go, oh, comedy, I don't like this guy, let's, let's boycott him. And right. They, right. they're not as invested and also because comedy is mainstream now i think it's it's watered down a bit so it's lost Mm. a little bit of its bite Mm. in in order to become mainstream and and pacify you know larger segments of the audience so right right comedy's watered down it's it's easier to access people aren't as invested in it and all of those together kind of make it um much more of a target to get 
to get canceled or, or pointed at or, 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 or critiqued. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, here on the Ad Nauseam podcast, I think we can call it a comedy-free zone, right? <laughs> you, you can be as funny as you want with no consequence. Yes. That's, it, that's it, what we're after. Exactly. So I'd like to play a, a clip. We put together a series of clips, as we told the audience, and uh, and then just have uh, Robert react to some of this. This is some of the, the favorite material of, of what we've seen of him. She asked me, Robert Mack from RobertMack.com. <laughs> If your house were on fire and you could only remove one thing, what would it be? And as always, there are no right or wrong answers. And I said, well, I'd probably remove the fire. (laughs) Which I believe is the right answer. So that, that's very funny material. And it's, it's not going to get canceled, I don't think, a joke like that. Later on in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, and listen to some of your more edgy material, which I think is completely acceptable and, and it's ridiculous that you'd be canceled for that. But why do you think this joke works is what I'd like to know. What's, what's funny about this? What's funny about this? Well, there's part that you didn't play, which introduces the, the she that I'm talking about. Right. Which is one of America's smartest doctors is so interested in my great ideas that she wants to interview me all the time. So mm. it, I sort of reveal that um, in a way that that I'm not aware of. I'm revealing that I, I talk to somebody, some analyst, some therapist. And I think the comedy comes from I'm coming at it from one perspective, thinking I'm a smart guy and people want to know what I'm thinking, where Whereas the audience and, and the doctor come from another perspective, which is this guy needs some, some mental help. Right, and, right, right, right. And, yeah. and that juxtaposition, comedy is about two ideas that are kind of jockeying for position. And those two yes. ideas are, are, are in conflict. Conflict is, is also another element of comedy. So there's some mm-hmm. conflict there of which, which is it? Is it he's a smart guy and these people want to interview him or is he a dumb guy and doesn't realize that that he's getting analyzed? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, later on, we're going to also refer to this, uh, this scholar, Leon Golden, who tries to reconstruct some of Aristotle's comedy. And he says that uh, it's well known that comedy depends on incongruity, right? Like you're saying juxtaposition. You put next to each other two really jarring things and then people look at it and laugh. And so a common thread in your material that I've noticed is a kind of self-mocking, but it's so much funnier because you pretend that you don't know, you know, that you're, you're acting like an idiot. And then the audience sees that clever interplay between this guy's acting like an idiot, but he thinks he's really intelligent. Yeah, it's very, dis- it's very disarming. Um, and, and David and I were talking about, um, you know, having listened to a, a, a lot of your stuff. Um, which they go, okay, well, you know, who does, who does Robert remind us of? Right. And both Dave and I are, are big fans of Stephen Wright. And um, that, you know, when you say, you know, I'd remove the fire, that kind of that, when you're pulling the rug out of, at the end of a joke, remind us of a lot of kind of those, you know, those very short, uh, you know, pithy jokes that uh, Stephen Wright does. So it's just kind of takes a very common situation and then just flips it on its head and just kind of lets it, lets it kind of echo there. I'm glad you I mentioned wondered, him. He's yeah. the, the first live comedian that I saw 
Oh, really? Yes. Uh, he, he really spoke to me early on because his writing is, is great. And, and like you said, he pulls the rug out from under you because another element of, of comedy, there, there's conflict, but there's also surprise. And he's right. able to pull that because he's talking about A and B and C, and then his punchline is D or, or Z or seven. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's completely unexpected. <laughs> it's within the world of, of the of the vignette that he's creating, but it's so unexpected that the surprise results in a laugh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all, you know, also, you know, presented through that kind of that monotone, world-weary, you know, rubbing my forehead and my eyes kind of persona that he has just kind of adds a whole other layer to it as well. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a name for that surprise, and we, we have a, a clip coming up here uh, with Robert that I think will highlight this really well. The Greeks had a name for this, right? Because the Greeks had a name for everything. Of course they did. Yeah, yes. it's called... Uh, pan. It's, it's called Pan, which means everything. Pan. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> nice, nice. No, it's a, it's a uh, jaw-breaking word called uh, potaprosdokion, which means you're heading in one direction and then, boom, all of a sudden something hits you uh, from the side and, oh, I didn't see that coming. Right. That sense of shock uh, just really seems to please an audience. Right, right. Yeah, and you're talking about, you know, that, uh, that the persona on stage, which kind of leads to... Um, kind of uh, undermining, but also kind of in, uh, yeah, uh, kind of disarming audience expectation. You think of like the ancient Greek um, comedies where you have like Dionysus, the god of of drama, on stage, and he's a complete moron. Right. And you have the lowly slave who's got all the best lines. It's a brilliant one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Interacting yeah. with the divinity. Right. Yep. So here's uh, the third clip. Here we're going to play, uh, which I have entitled "Fancy People Jobs Hot Liquid." <laughs> you can guess what that's going to be. So let's roll that clip. I had one of those things that um, uh, fancy people have in the morning. Day job. I had a day job. And <laughs> the first thing you have to do when you have a day job is you have to get up early in the morning. And um, that's inconvenient for me because they don't give you a wake-up call from the office. Hello, rise and shine. Time to get out of your manjamas and come on down to the office so we could steal your best ideas. No, you have to get up on your own early in the morning. So I had to get this uh, alarm clock. Have you seen these, anyone? Bueller? It's like a regular clock, but it's hooked up with this alarming device. And what it does is it wakes you up abruptly in the morning, which is the best way to get up when you've been unconscious for a third of a day. According to napticians and sleepologists, you don't want to get up gradually. No, you get up like a jackrabbit. Oh, wow. Don't want to miss the rush hour, right? So you get up and you shower and you pee pee and you have some coffee. And for me, that's too many hot liquids at one time. I, I don't think that's good for your system to have hot liquids coming in and going out and getting shot at you. But that's what you do. You wake up and it's hot liquid, hot liquid, hot liquid. And then... You go outside and it's unbelievable how many people are outside in the morning time. You wouldn't believe how unbelievable it is. <laughs> believe me. I would that guy's great. Yeah, he he's is. funny. He's very funny. Yeah, he's funny. I, I would like to say, oh. though, that it starts with a misdirection and, and yeah. your, your mm -hmm. audience won't be able to, to appreciate it uh, because they can't see. But in that performance, I'm talking about food right before right. this. And then I'm gesturing like I'm, I'm gesturing about something in front of me, like like I'm making the shape of, of something on a plate of food. 
So they think I'm talking about food when I talk about that thing that fancy people have in the morning. Right. Yes. So those yeah, little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those little uh, clues are, are trying to get people to, to go one direction. And I mm. want to put an expectation in their head that, oh, he's talking about food. And so I, I use these different clues and techniques to lead them in one direction. And then there's that thing, uh, which I call the left turn. You guys call it whatever the, the Greek is for that. But that's that right. left turn is, is the surprise. And that's how comedians are able to, to generate laughs is they set up an expectation to go one direction and then they're able to pull the plug or do a left turn or rotate or pivot or do something to, to get the audience's expectation to make that turn. Once the audience figures out that they've been tricked or conned, um, that their body releases a laugh and that's one right. of the evolutionary things of, of laughter is is releasing tension or 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 solving an incongruity so that's yes, how that right, that bit starts yeah we had to of course we had to chop up some of the the really wonderful narrative arcs that are in these 40 minute sets right and we did that basically because we're insecure and it makes you look even funnier than you are <laughs> we didn't want to have the competition yeah 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 um, but I mean that kind of that release, of course. You know that, that's Aristotle once again the catharsis, right? Yes, which cleansing, said that both cleaning the, out the best of tragedy and the best of comedy could 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 do, right? Right. So, uh, Robert, I'm I'm curious when you when you put together a joke like that, really any joke, um, you know, what's your process? Do you, is it you are you putting this down on paper? Are you working the, this out in the club and saying, okay, that didn't work, and I'll you know the next night I'll I'll try something different? Uh, right. How it, does how does that go? It's it's different for everyone, but. Um, for me, a lot of times it starts as a thought, like I can get a laugh with this and it bounces around in my head for a while. Then I, I record it, you know, uh, vocally into my phone or in some sort of recorder and or I put it on paper. Uh, I generally like to script my things out and, and type out um, my material into little scripts that I try out on stage and after... I've tried it a number of times. I will look at my script and listen to my recordings and see which lines are working better. Those I move to the bottom. I try to build to the biggest laugh. If a line that I thought was funny is not getting the response I want, I, I tweak it, I edit it, or I, I get rid of it. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth. It, it, it's a lot of work to do that. Um, and so it takes a while sometimes to get 20 minutes of ideas down to 10 minutes of material down to five minutes of, of solid stuff when I've, right. I've pulled all the fat out. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, in preparation for this, you know, woven into your, uh, your material is little autobiographical stuff. Some of it facetious, some of it, I, I think genuine, like when you said, uh, I wanted to write so badly and now I do something like that, but we, we have a clip here about um, a liberal arts degree, and the next one after that is about uh, classic English literature. So kind of where we want to go with this part is to ask you, um, you know, when you're, when you're young, like we were, you think, well, I'm headed toward a successful career, and then we both went into uh, degrees in classics. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a surprise, right? So we want to set this up to ask you, you know, what has it been like? Uh, to be a professional comedian who's writing this great material, 
you know, how were you prepared? Um, what do you think about it thus far? So let's roll the clip. Did you know 40% of all plastic is used only once and then it's gone, the waste, yeah. That's, it's like a liberal arts degree or something. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> and were you going to play the second clip too? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, yeah, let's, okay. let's do that. Yeah. So this, I, I would say, of all the material that we're presenting here on this, this theme, this may be uh, some of Robert's best. Where I went to school, uh, you had to sell the books back after your class if you wanted to eat. <laughs> so I, I didn't have any of my old books, but I remembered a very funny satire I read called uh, Catch-22. Who's... Who's, uh, sorry, okay. who's, uh, who's seen the movie? Okay, it's all right, this will work, don't worry. Who's, um, who's read the title? Okay, yeah. It's slow in the beginning, but it really picks up after the hyphen. Anyway, I went to this big membership uh, book place, and I don't know what the clerk's problem was, but I gave him the book, and he said, is that it? And I said, yeah, that's it, Catch-22. Well, I need to see your membership card. Oh, I don't, I don't have a membership card. How do I get one? You have to buy something. Well, I'm buying Catch-22. Now, without a membership card. So, I didn't get the Catch-22, but that's all right, many of you didn't either. So instead, <laughs> I got uh, To Kill a Mocking Clerk, is what I got. It's in the how-to section. Next to Death of a Salesman. That's great stuff. So you're, you're throwing off these titles of just one classic work after the next, and you've, you've identified uh, with such an intelligent focus, I would say, the the humor that's latent in these silly titles and uh, you've drawn it out so perfectly for an audience. How did, you know, if, if at all your previous studies of literature, anything like that prepare you for this career? Well, I, you know, I had to read all this stuff and those books are, are stuck in my head and, and part of comedy. Well, one technique for writing jokes is you have a bunch of lists and where do those lists interact? So if I have a joke about books and I have a joke about, um, shopping at a bookstore, or, or maybe a, a Venn diagram is a better uh, explanation. Right. Mm -hmm. where, where do those circles intersect, and what are those points that we can turn into jokes? So um, people who don't know what a Catch-22 is aren't, aren't going to get that particular joke, but the people who do will really get it. And right. so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of irony in comedy. So the fact that I'm buying the Catch-22, but there's a Catch-22 involved, which is I need to have a membership card. So, so it started with that joke. And then what other book titles? So here's another yeah. list. <laughs> book titles. And what book titles that many people know? One, one of the first rules of comedy is know your audience. So what book titles are they going to know? If they know Catch-22, they probably will know... Uh, to Kill a Mocking Bird, which I changed to To Kill a Mocking Clerk, which mm -hmm. I've set up earlier by making sure that I've said the word uh, clerk before. So, right. So some of these and things have to be... it fits the rhythm. It fits the rhythm so nicely as well in the title. It's surprising that way. Well, you, you, you hammer it out and you, like I said before, you listen to your recordings and realize, well, these words aren't necessary. They're not forwarding the story. 
and um, they might be spoiling the punchline. And if they're not getting a laugh, get rid of them. So all you're left with are the important words that keep the the plot, as it were, going and and reveal the punchline. And right, so yeah. af- after you speak it a few times, the you get the, the rhythm and the wording down just right. And it gets it gets that meter, that metric. Yeah. One other thing I noticed uh, is you're not afraid to make fun of your audience. I like it that you, you know, you poke some gentle fun at your audience. But what do you think about that? How does that work? Um, one of my favorite things is to, to make fun of the audience. Um, I don't do it very much. But let's, can we rewind 20 years? When I, when I started, some people said that I came off, when I started stand-up, People said I came off as arrogant or condescending mm. and Mr. Know-it-all. And maybe it's hard for me to see that because I'm, I'm coming from my perspective. It's hard to step out and view it from another person's perspective. But then I was toying around with self-deprecating humor. And that seemed to get... It allows me to, to still be smart. Right. And talk about the smart things that I want to talk about. Because honestly, at comedy clubs, many people don't talk about literature. Um, they will, mm. you know, talk about bodily functions or whatever. Uh, getting drunk. Uh, sure. All of that stuff. Blue stuff. And I, I try to right. keep it smart. But if I come out and I talk smart and I am smart, then I'm, I'm putting down the audience. And so instead... Yeah. I stumbled onto this character who makes fun of himself. So the audience gets a chance to laugh at me. And as a result, every once in a while, I can kind of make fun of them. Yeah, it's kind of a way you kind of gain the audience's trust, right? And their goodwill by doing that. Right, right. And and they, they also get to see that I'm playing a character. And I think audiences like to feel smart. The best compliment I got... Recently, somebody said, watching your material makes me feel like I'm smart ah. because I, I, I lay things out in a way that it's easy for you to put the pieces together. Ah. And at the you same... Know, there's a teaching function. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. They, yeah, it could be a, a, a teaching uh, functionality of it. There's something... like a teaching function in, in comedy almost. The narrative story, you're leading them along, laying out the, the pebbles, the breadcrumbs. And then they end up in the gingerbread house or something. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. giving facts. It's very similar skill set to, to teaching. I'm in front of a group of people and I'm trying to convey certain um, mm. facts and want people to see things from my point of view. And if I can do it in a way that makes fun of myself, it's easier for them to listen to me. And so I have won their, their trust and their goodwill. And because they know that I'm a character... I think when I insult them, I can get away with it because they know it's it's not a legitimate insult. Here, here's a here's an example. I don't I don't know what clip is coming up. Um, uh, the next one is going to be um, January is the best birthday. Uh, all right. If you remember that, shall I just play that one, or did you want to say something else? Well, I wanted I mean, to say something show. where where I have made fun of the audience before, and it didn't uh, work because. Ooh. This one particular audience, I did a private gig for a bunch of hand surgeons. Mm. And really? anyone who does <laughs> surgery, there's a, there's a pecking order. 
and and surgeons put themselves at the top above right. above any other profession especially above comedian so i had a joke that kind of makes fun of the audience and because they were a little uh, mm. because they think so high of themselves they didn't they didn't like that and as a result they didn't like my act for a few minutes after that because they mm. felt uh, they felt like the insult was personal rather than mm. silly which is what it is because it's coming from a character who's obviously you know far beneath them on any sort of uh, intelligence chart the character that i play but it, so what's, it's what's the joke what's the joke oh it was just a silly joke where i say um you know i travel a lot because i'm better than you and right. <laughs> it's just a throwaway line that's not you know i don't end the show with it because i'm better than right. you good night it's just a little throwaway right. line but a group a whole room of people with the same attitude of wait a minute i'm better than this guy he can't get away with that so they all collectively paused and kind of turned against me ah mm. interesting so i love that joke because as soon as i heard it i realized every time i've been in a social setting we talk about travel i'm kind of showing off a list of the places i've been mm. mm-hmm. right yeah yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I don't mean to overanalyze it i know it's just kind of a throwaway thing but now every time i say that i remember your joke and it i have another laugh so the well, hand surgeons didn't go ahead i was gonna say that the genesis of of it comes from you know, when I was a kid growing up, anyone who who had a job that caused them or forced them to travel, right. I thought that that must that's an impressive job. Yes. Yeah. And right. then in my job, I started to travel, and so I kind of right. brag that I'm traveling, but I don't mention that I'm um, spending 36 hours on a Greyhound bus or <laughs> sleeping at airports or yes. staying on it's friends' not couches. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I used to keep track of when I started traveling a little bit, you know, a list of the places I've flown to because travel used to be really expensive and quite uncommon. Now it's so common that I, you know, I have the same kind of feeling that you do. It's uh, which airport am I going to sit in for hours? <laughs> exactly. I just I, I wanted to go back to you. Uh, I love that you got that compliment from the, the, the fan that said your company makes me feel smarter. And one of the things I love about the Catch-22 joke is that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to have read that book or, you know, you have to know what a Catch-22 is to kind of get the full punch of it, but you don't have to know that book or you haven't have to have read To Kill a Mockingbird or Death of a Salesman. Um, but if you have, there's something kind of elevating about that. It kind of reminds me of, of, you know, the best Simpsons episode where it kind of operates on a level that everybody can get, but there's often kind of a, a often kind of a, a literary layer or a pop culture layer to it that often, if you get it, it's like, oh, you know, um, you know, I, I, you know, I could be a Simpson writer. Right, you know, I'm I, on the inside. I'm on the inside, yeah. and I, I, that's what that joke hits me. Yeah, I do, I do agree. I do think that audiences like to be in the in group. So if I can divide the audience for the those who get it and those who don't, the ones who get it can pat themselves on the back, like, oh, right. I got that one, and and these these other folks did not, and I think. That exclusivity <laughs> makes an audience feel better about themselves. And, and when you have an in-group and an out-group, of course people are going to want to be in the in-group. And some of these jokes, in a way, do that. They, they, they separate the audience and people get to pat themselves on the back because I was smart enough to get that reference or that joke. Right. Exactly. exactly. So we're going to talk a little bit more about those things, uh, including how did Robert get canceled? after the break. 
This episode of Odd Nauseam brought to you by LLPSI. What in the world does that mean? No, it's brought, it's brought to you by Latin per diems. Oh. Lingua Latina per se illustrata Latin course, Winkle. Okay, why did I say LLPSI then? Because I told you to. Okay, all right. <laughs> but, but tell us about this. Okay, so uh, at latinperdiem.com slash LLPSI, audience members can start their study of the Latin language with me. Sounds great. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to write comedy like our guest Robert Mack, you're going to need a large supply, a plethora, you might say a copia, of good words. That's right. This will improve your vocabulary. Your vocabulary will be improved hereby. Yes. You can study Latin with me. Uh, it's $199. Takes you ab initio from the ground up. If you don't know any Latin, this is the place to start. If okay. you're trying to build a pyramid, you ever tried to build a pyramid? It, yeah. I was always unsuccessful though. Right. Yeah. It calls us back to um, what? Uh, the, the monumental architecture of DC, no place like Dome. Right, right, yes. right, exactly, yeah. You're going to build a pyramid, you got to have a really broad, solid foundation. See, I, always, I always started in the middle. Did you? Yeah, like halfway up. It didn't, That's no, not going to work. It was terrible. An above ground pool? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not going to work. No. So people often say, yeah, I did Latin in college, I don't remember anything. Well, you didn't really learn if you didn't start with a proper foundation. And this will give that to you. Yes, you'll get that proper foundation. All right, so what should so, Dot com? Dot com slash L-L-P-S-I. You get the whole program every week. You get to meet with me and other Latin students from around the world. Sounds like fun. Yeah, to study some Latin. Check it out. All right. This episode is also brought to you by the Racial Coffee Maker. Racial Coffee Maker? Racial Coffee Maker. And just like last time, I'm going to read a little bit of a review here yeah. from uh, an online journal called journal called Pull and Pour. All right. And this is written by uh, Mr. Andrew Potler from uh, June of 2019. He says, quote, the Ratio 8 is a premium automated coffee maker from Ratio that makes poor over quality coffee with an automated machine. It mirrors the process and filter you'd follow for manually making Chemex. Chemex. You know Chemex now, right? I know what it is now. All right. Yeah, it sounds it, like a lot of work. No, no. It, the, the Ratio does it automatically. It bridges the gap between the quality of a handmade poor over coffee and the convenience of a lower quality automated machine. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, full disclosure, I have one of these machines. You got the ratio five and a half? I got the six. No, the I, six. Exactly. I rounded up to the six. Excellent. You got the eight, I've I heard. I got the eight. Yep. Yeah. It's got an oyster with a walnut accent. So Potler says, I read through the directions to make sure I wasn't missing anything, but it is simple enough to use. I probably could have started immediately after unboxing. It's that it's it is user friendly. You push one button, Jeff. Right. One button, and then what happens? Well, then you go through the three stages. Let's yeah. hear about uh, them. We got the bloom, we got the brew, and then it's ready. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any coffee today? I did. I had some from my six. From yeah. your ratio six. Yeah. You, you have the stainless or the black or what? The stainless. Got? Got yeah. The stainless. Yeah. It's a nice looking thing. Yeah. And yeah. tell me about the carafe. I want to hear about that. The carafe is. I mean, it's a serious carafe. It's not. Um, it's. Uh, it's not. Um, pussyfooting around. It's. Mm. It's. It's weighty. Um, it keeps it warm for hours with no burning scorch pad underneath. Mm, that's yeah. fantastic. It Just is. like mine. So again, to, to Poutler here, he says, there is no doubt that this is one of the most, well, let's let's euphemize a little bit, uh, one of the uh, least attainable coffee makers <laughs> in terms of, well, you know, if you're going to have something valuable, you got to pay for it. Of course. Didn't, didn't uh, your dad tell you you get what you pay for? He did. Yeah, he told me that many times. Not your dad, but mine. It sits safely in the super premium category. While many people, reading the review, would never dream of buying a $500 plus coffee machine, for those that are passionate about coffee and have money to spend, the ratio delivers in a lot of the other categories. That's right. And here's the best news. So yes. listeners, if you go to ratiocoffee.com, 
Um, you can um, click on either the six or the eight. You can choose your machine. And if you put in the coupon code, I believe it's ANCO. That's right. AN Coffee. Yep. Uh, you can get 15% off um, either of those wonderful machines. Check it out. You won't regret it. You will not. This episode of Ad Nauseam also brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about Hackett Publishing and what you like. Uh, absolutely. Well, Hackett just launched a new website. They did. Yes, and as part of the launch and their anniversary celebration, because we're in the 50th year of Hackett here now, started back in 1972, they're offering a free Hackett tote bag with all website orders of $50 or more. That's fantastic. All you have to do is go to Hackett Publishing, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, publishing.com, and while supplies last, you go through their massive catalog of classical titles, The Essential Greek Historians, uh, Aeneid Book 7 by Randall Ganabin, the Essential Thucydides by Paul Woodruff, The Lucian, the whole thing. Erasmus we talked about last Erasmus, week. Erasmus, right. You can get some Erasmus original materials. You put some of that into your bag, and you go mm-hmm. to checkout, and then there's a coupon code. Yes, I believe it is uh, AN2022. That's right. AN ad nauseum. Listeners of this program, audience members, AN2022. What is the, the bargain? What is the, the discount? Anything that you that you buy, anything you put in your little satchel there, you'll get 20% off. Oh, it's incredible. And free shipping. 20%. And if I'm not mistaken, that's one-fifth. That is. <laughs> and free shipping. <laughs> and if you spend more than $50 while supplies last, free tote, tote bag. bag. Check it out. All right, as we get back into this with Robert Mack from robertmack.com, let's play another clip. All right, here we go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like July. My favorite month is January because that's uh, when my birthday is, and that's the best month to have. It's the best month to have a birthday because you don't have to wait as long. And it's also... <laughs> It's the time of year that you get a fresh start. Uh, I joined a health club because uh, this year because I decided I want to lose about $30 a month. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great material. That is. That's wonderful. Yeah. I think uh, think it works. Somebody told me, how come you don't laugh at your jokes? And I... For, for one thing, I don't trust comedians who laugh at themselves because... I, I don't either. It's disingenuous. And also, my character doesn't think that, that he's a comedian. He just thinks that right. he's... And he's able, because he's deadpan, he's able to say silly things like, you don't have to wait as long for your birthday when it's in January. And, and those things work together. If he were to laugh while telling that, then he would be saying, I'm being funny when he doesn't even... That's not what he right. believes. Right. It breaks character. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Groucho Marx invented this, right? If you say funny things and you don't laugh at yourself, it's a lot funnier. It's just not self-indulgent. So I have the same, I mean, I'm not obviously professional like you, but when I see a comedian laughing at himself, it creates distrust, right? I'm supposed to be the judge of whether this is funny. Don't do the, my job for me. The, the one comedian I've seen that, at least in my opinion, can, can get away with that is, is Chappelle. He will often kind of, he'll say something outrageous and then like tap the microphone, like kind of thigh and kind of that backward walk. And like, like he, like, it's almost like he can't believe what he just said. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, but he's sort of, he's had to, to earn that over, over with, the oh, Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He couldn't do that at, um, at an open mic night. Right. 
Yeah. So getting into some of the more highbrow comedy, you know, that you, you say clever jokes for clever folks, not not working blue, right, and so forth. Uh, here's a great bit on uh, Marie Curie, and uh, here I'm going to connect it to the classics. I'm quite sure she studied Latin. How's that, Jeff? Marie Curie did? I'm, of oh, course. Without a doubt. Of course. Right. Here we go. Right. From- <laughs> For many years, it was just science men. And then they said, fine, fine, we'll allow a science lady. And the first science lady was Marie Curie, who's the only person who won two different Nobel Prizes in two different fields of science. And she discovered radiation. And she discovered the only substance harder than diamonds. It's an avocado from Trader Joe's. What if the Russians were able to weaponize that technology? If that, if that avocado fell into the wrong hands, it would crush those hands. I mean, I love that joke, but um, I think that joke would be, it would be funny, but it would not be near as funny if you didn't say Trader Joe's. I mean, I love the specificity of that. If yes. you said like, is that harder, you know, the hardest substance is the avocado from the produce section. Right. Is not as funny. I, so I, I, I love that. Just that I, I like that. Like in, like in, um, in like pop music too. When a when a, a song has like kind of lyrics about a specific street, right, or a, a specific place, it always hits me so much. More, it's so much more interesting. Yeah. Why is that funny? The specificity. Well, I think it makes it easier for the audience to picture it. It makes it you're painting a picture in their head and it's easier for them to see Trader Joe's than a quote unquote grocery store. Um, I teach comedy classes as well. And I talk a little bit about uh, specificity because it makes it more real. The easier it is for an audience to picture it in their head, the more real it is. And um, the reason I picked Trader Joe's is if you've been to Trader Joe's, they, the way their avocado department works is they able to get them <laughs> at a cheaper rate because they're they're rock hard and right right um, do you know who does not shop at Trader Joe's for avocados are hand surgeons so that joke didn't work with them either because <laughs> they're not going out shopping um, they probably have right. somebody else in their household who does that so that joke didn't work for them either mm. which is rule number one mm. know your audience. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Specificity, so did you try that joke with them? If I can ask, did you try that joke with them? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember it just kind of yeah. one of those jokes that fell flat because, mm. oh, these people probably don't do the grocery shopping in their home. Right. right. Um, and so yeah. I, those are the things I learned from slowly but surely over the years. Like, oh, I got to keep that in mind. Next time I do this joke, who is the audience? Is this people who, who are like us who do all the grocery shopping or is this you know, an elitist group who, who thinks highly of themselves and wouldn't deign to, to buy an avocado. Um, yeah. So that, that one, uh, I, I like that one also because it, it looks like it's, it's going to, 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 to promote women in the sciences and it does, but there's a left turn right. and it becomes about right. something else. And that is again, yes, that's surprise is, is one of the, the, the elements, the strongest elements of comedy. But I, I do like to Absolutely. use, I do like to use my facts, keep it factual. Um, Mark Twain once told me the the more you stick to the truth, the easier it is to remember. The funniest jokes are the jokes that, that people can relate to because they can picture it in their heads. And if, right. if I give them all the pieces, 
then it's easier for them to put a Trader Joe's in their head than try to imagine, okay, what's a generic, what's my local right. grocery store? So make it as real, as tangible, as concrete, as visual as possible for them to, to, to live it. Right, right. Absolutely. So we're, um, <clears throat> we're going to go on now and talk a little bit about uh, how did Robert Mack, clever jokes for clever folks, how did he get canceled? And we're going to play a few clips that, again, I don't think they are really edgy, but uh, some people found them. I don't know. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, the global warming controversy. Let's right, roll that let's one. Let's do it. I came here to share great ideas on how to lower temperatures around the world. Here's one. Convert to the metric system. <laughs> when we convert to the metric system, temperatures will drop 50 degrees overnight. Fact. That's a scientific fact. Did you, did you really get pushback on that joke? I got pushback for uh, something that comes right after that joke which is when I talk about somebody in the audience not wanting um, to follow my great idea because they are opposed to metricans and then yeah. they're scared that we're going to have a bunch of metricans come into our land. Yeah, as assonance, right? right? Two words that sound similar, but you're only a bigot if you hear the word Mexican and you don't like Mexicans, right? Because what does metrican have to do with anything? It's just silly. Well, it's it's silly, but it's filling the it fills the same space in that argument about we need to build a wall, um, right? And we're gonna have the metricans uh, build it. <laughs> what was the line? <laughs> Eleven kilometers long and nine gallons high. Something yeah. Like and who do you think's gonna measure that wall? You are with your yardstick. No way, Jose. A metrican is. But you're totally digressing the subject. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, just funny how could someone be upset about that so, so did that did it like cause a twitter storm i mean how did that manifest it didn't it didn't really uh, cause much of a storm other than um i did that joke sort of as a last minute performance for a nonprofit that was having um an online fundraiser and they've hired me a number of times in the past and i'm sure i've done that joke in the past before but this time i did it and one of the nonprofit's employees told the director, who I've become friends with over the years since I've done a number of his shows, they said, we can't hire this guy. He, I took offense at Metrican because I'm a Mexican-American and I thought he was making fun of our culture. Hmm. And a similar situation happened a few months ago with a, a colleague of mine who happens to be Native American and she was talking about being Native American and some people in that audience who were Native American took offense that she was making fun of her and therefore their culture. Mm. And, and the commonalities are that the people who had issues were both younger and more sensitive. And mm. both instances, um, the people who delivered me the bad news we're kind of rolling their eyes saying, I don't, I don't see it. I know where they're coming from. I'm not offended, but it's a younger, more sensitive part demographic of our audience. Hmm. And I've seen those. Um, yeah, go, please. Go I, I was yeah. going to say that younger people don't take things, uh, they take things too literally 
rather than metaphorically and, and a big part of comedy is talking about two or, or more things at once. And you have to be able to look at things from different perspectives and see that maybe the literal meaning isn't what the performer means. And maybe that right. there's a metaphoric or, or some other hidden conceit that the performer is actually talking about. But people of a gener of a certain generation, uh, don't have that skill or don't have it as fully developed or they are more they've been taught by society to look out for hey they might be making fun of you if they say metrican they're probably making fun of mexicans mm. so i think they this younger generation doesn't have the same experience and they are more out to to look to be offended rather than looking to be entertained Right. Yeah, I've seen uh, um, interviews with Seinfeld and Chris Rock who say they won't play colleges anymore. And um, I'm wondering, if, if, have you noticed a, just a different vibe in, if and when you do a, a college gig versus a you know a, a nightclub? I, I haven't done a, a college gig in a number of years because of okay. the the pandemic, um, but mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. noticed that in the last two and a half years, doing online shows that are not at a club and they are more on the, the corporate level or work gig rather than a, than, than a show at a club that there, because it is a work event and because there are some younger people in the audience, they are more attuned to, to getting triggered at, at things. So mm. I've had to mm. rework some material I've had to get rid of, you know, and jettison some material, but other stuff like the metric and stuff, I just, I roll my eyes and I'm going to keep doing it because for one thing, I don't like people telling me what my intent is. Right. My right. intent is to get a laugh. My intent is not to make fun of Mexican Americans. And in fact, I'm making fun of the whole concept of the, of that group of people who are talking about building right. walls and exactly. I think when an audience isn't able to look at something uh, with irony, they're, they're going to they're gonna miss a lot. They're going to miss a lot of the laughs and they're going to think that I'm saying one thing. If I were to make fun of racism, maybe I play a racist character on stage. And if somebody sees yeah. that, they might go, that guy's racist. Well, he's right. making fun of racism. Yeah. But certain generations just don't uh, don't see it that way. Yeah, they don't get it. They don't yeah. get it. So I call it the 50 50 rule. Half of all audiences have a below average sense of humor. <laughs> uh, should we play another really yeah. offensive clip? Well, uh, th I like this one because uh, the Greeks, you see how I'm connecting it back yes. to the classics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greeks invented mathematics of a sort. Yes. And uh, we're going to roll this one that I entitled Mathematically Chinese. All right, let's say it to you. Here's a, another interesting fact I, I read online the other day. One-fifth of the world is Chinese. I was speechless, too, because that's almost 20%. So, look where you're sitting. All right, if the two people next to you aren't Chinese, and the people in front and behind you aren't Chinese, guess what, Yao Ming? You're mathematically Chinese. <laughs> so so one question about that is i think yao ming is the famous uh, nba player isn't that right yeah. back back in the day when i wrote this joke he was probably the most famous uh 
Chinese basketball player of the time. Yeah, an, am- an amazing athlete. And so that the specificity of that joke, again, is what makes it so funny. <laughs> I probably should update that with a more current uh, Chinese uh, recognizable name. Right. Wasn't yeah. there a, a skier? There's Maybe a Chinese-American skier who right. was... Uh, There's a lot of hullabaloo about her in right. the Olympics. A yeah. brilliant, brilliant athlete. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. But that, um, that, so that's an example they... of, I think, somebody um, in this day and age, you know, with their checklist going, did he mention uh, a different country or a different nationality? Yes, therefore, we need to, uh, we need to give the thumbs down or whatever. And, and again, I think it's people are not looking to get entertained. Like the old days, when I said people would go to a comedy club, they were looking to get entertained. Now everything has to run by the HR department and they're not looking to get entertained. They're looking to find Mm. things to be offended at. I've done a number Mm -hmm. of shows for HR departments and they're not looking for laughs. (laughs) They're looking for, Oh, what can we, what can we cut? And it just, Oh, it's so painful to, that they don't get the joke. And there's a number of jokes in there. There's one, you know, uh, one fifth is almost 20%. Right. Yeah. That joke was online and some people, one person online said, that's not even funny because one fifth is 20%. And then somebody corrected oh, that them. That person has no sense of humor. Right. He's like, no, but it's not almost one. It is 20%. Yeah. And there was a back and forth. And I'm like, I'm wasting my time by, by trying to appease these people if they get it right. they get it if not i can't i can't help them the joke is yeah. my character is so dumb he doesn't he isn't able to yeah. pull that off and and thinks right. that therefore if the four people around you aren't chinese then mathematically the math bears it out you must right be. right right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and in have- no way does that say or criticize or victimize or ridicule people of of any chinese race uh, no. Or nationality, but some right. people will see that and go, "Oh, you can't, you can't single out a group." Yeah, but you in in the next clip though, you do have a larger target, we might say, and that is the morbidly obese. All right, let's hear it. I was in the waiting room in the doctor's office, and I was reading this little pamph. It was a tiny little pamph. It was like a pamphlet, and. <laughs> The pamphlet said that one out of every three Americans is morbidly obese. So once again, look where you're sitting. One out of three. (laughs) If the person sitting on your left and the person sitting on your right is the same person. (laughs) You're probably not morbidly obese. Now, now, did you get pushed back on that? Is that... Uh... I did that bit once, and I heard someone in the background um, grumble about um, body shaming. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I can see that. Um, but for me, that is not the focus of the joke. The, for me, this joke is a callback in ways uh, to right. the mathematically Chinese, because that one I say, look where you're sitting... And this one I say, also look where you're sitting. And so it's a kind of a parallel uh, comparison, except um, then I say, if the person behind you, if it's one person, if it's somebody that large, (laughs) so it, it, it derails our, our, our technique a little bit of, of how we were comparing where you're sitting. 
And to me, that's where the joke is, is that there's somebody who's right. so big that they, they're on both sides of you. Um, right. And I, I went back and forth many times when I was writing that joke, and I found the best way for it to work is to make the, the you in that joke not morbidly obese. Right. Because there was another version where if you, if that was you, then you're, you know, a fat obese person. But I made right. it, right. I made it somebody else and that seemed to make it uh, more tolerable. But nonetheless, somebody said I, I was a body shame. Body shame. Arguably a, a tiny bit more funny if you say, if the person on your left and the person on your right is the same person, you are morbidly obese. But I didn't, I didn't try to overthink it. I was just overcome with, uh, with humor because it, it works really well it works really well you talk about you know the 50 50 split in you know in the audience i'm just curious like you know as you've gone around you know around the the country and are there places where you know you're, you're going there and you think i know this is going to kill and there are places that you might go to say this might be rough i'm just i'm curious kind of your if you ha if if that's a um if you see that those kinds of trends in places there are a lot of it that you know really depends on what the show is um if it's a show at a comedy club where people have come to be entertained, that is an audience that is open-minded and, and more receptive. If it's an online show or a work event where people are there not because they want to be, but because they have to be, then <laughs> yeah. that they might not be as entertained or they might not be as engaged. And that's where you have the people who are on the lower half of the 50-50 rule. Mm, because right, they're not right, there. To, they're, uh, we, they drag this comedian to our work event. Um, but I can look at some audiences and, and get a sense if it's really, um, if they're, if they like a lot of the dirty jokes and the blue jokes, sometimes it's harder for me to win them over, um, mm. because they want something more rough and tumble and An easy laugh kind of, there are other, yeah, easy laughs. And there are other comedians who can deliver that. And maybe it wasn't a good choice for me uh, to be mm. at that, that event, um, I do a lot of Christmas parties, holiday parties that want a, a comedian. I, I did one a couple of years ago and it was a, a, an auto business. There were some mechanics, um, but some administrative types, but most of them were blue collar and they were telling me like horrible jokes before, before during dinner, I was performing after dinner and during dinner, they're telling me these horrible, you know, sexist and racist jokes. And then I got up there and, and did my little, you know, Sunday church show, and it just wasn't a good fit for that particular uh, audience. Even though when they, they hired they me, they you... said, you have to be clean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were giving you great, they thought they were giving you great material. Oh, this is great stuff. You can use it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it so gave did... me more of an insight of, of, of what they were, what they were right. looking for, which, as you said, right. lowest, lowest uh, common denominator, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest jokes mm. are... To be honest, I, I, when my career started, I wrote a lot of those jokes because they're easy to write. Mm. And then you realize, yeah. oh, they're easy because they're, they write themselves, you know, poo and right. pee jokes. So, yeah. Right. Scatology is what that's called. Scatological humor. And there's a lot of it in Aristophanes, bathroom jokes. But it's all delivered with such literary flair. So here's a callback to... To the classics. The episode, right? Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, on, yeah. On the frogs. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. So we're going to, if we can move just a little bit, because we're, we're starting to run out of time here. Uh, another um, kind of redoubt of touchy jokes is uh, the war between the sexes. And it seems like, you know, um, jokes about different ethnic groups 
those those faded from the landscape quite a long time ago, and in some sense, that's good. Uh, but jokes about the differences between men and women uh, were still acceptable, even recently. So I want to—I think maybe that's changed. But I want to roll this clip: uh, "Wife with Broken Femur," uh, which is some of your funniest material if you're married. And uh, I'd, I'd like to hear what you think about it. But, but th- this is true, this is a true story. My, my wife is a bicyclist and uh, she was in an accident and, and snapped her femur in the, yeah, in her hip. Do we have any medical professionals here? Does anyone know any, what do you know about the femur? It's a big bone, it's the biggest bone. They say the only thing worse than a broken femur is a wife with a broken femur. <laughs> Which is what I have and it's no walk in the park, I'll tell you that, because for two weeks after the accident, you can't even sit down when you have a wife with broken femur. <laughs> because she's always asking you to get stuff, you know? I need more meds, okay, take me to the bathroom, all right. And uh, that's the first symptom. Ringing in the ears is the first symptom of a wife with broken femur. And, on and on, drain the fluid bag and adjust the pillows and I'm ready to eat and it's good for the quads. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, that's the only good thing about WBF. <laughs> now, um, was that one also that that uh, gonna raise any hackles or, or no? Not yet, but who knows? Not yet. <laughs> There's time. <laughs> yes, the, the night is, is young on that one. It's, um, that's a newer one. It's, it's a true story. Um, Oh wow! And that's yeah. one that when it happened, uh, or, or, or when, when, when I saw the joke in there, I I knew that it would work. And and we were asking before, or you guys were asking, you know, how do I know if a joke will work? And I try it right. out a lot on stage, but as I've been doing this for many years, and I have found my my voice or my character, the things that I know will work, I have I have a little bit better, more accuracy now. I was going to say previously I had sort of a shotgun approach to jokes at a very wide range, but now it's more right. laser focused and which means fewer jokes, but they're more dead on. And when, when, uh, when I wrote this one, I knew, I knew it was going to work. Hmm. Did you need Mrs. Mack's permission for that one? How did, if, maybe too personal a question. <laughs> um, she, I, she's only, I don't think she's seen me perform it. I think she's heard it, <laughs> but I've told her about it. And, you know, she, she, she couldn't argue that I couldn't do it. I mean, it's, it's a part of my life. Um, it does really well. It does surprisingly yeah. well. Um, Two really not- funny things about it. First, you know, the whole audience wants to feel great sympathy for her because that's a terrible accident. But the whole bit is trying to win sympathy for yourself. That's funny. <laughs> and the other thing is that at the very end, you identify it with initials, which is kind of like a medical yeah. uh, tick. You have to give things initials. And, you know, it's a made-up condition. Very funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the reason that works, I think, is because uh, something called the rule of three, which I'm sure you guys have come across, it's very sure. prominent in comedy. And I, I do say that it's a medical condition. It's called wife with broken femur. And then later on, I say wife with broken femur. And then the third time, I don't say wife with broken femur. femur. I call it WBF. And it gives the audience the chance 
to go, oh, I know what he's saying. And they get to pat themselves on the back because they figured it out. So it's another instance of setting up a pattern and then sort of denying that pattern, but but giving something that they're able to to figure out on their own. And I, I, I believe that the more an audience is able to figure something out that's not spoon-fed to them, the more engaged they are, the more they will lean in, right. and the more they right. can pat themselves on the back. Yeah. One of the things that you've done that, that, I, that I loved, I don't, I don't know if David's one, one of the clips, but when you opened a set with... I'm um, talking about like I, I didn't have a chance to finish up a story at the last gig, and so he's he's like, and that's why they call it Lake Titicaca, and you just let that, that and it, you know it forces the audience to kind of almost imagine um, what the setup to that joke is, and you just gonna leave them with a with with a punchline. I thought that that was brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. very good, and you bring it in at the at the end of uh, the episode, so they have a maybe a false sense of. Um, uh, conclusion because you didn't really tell them why, but it's still satisfying for yeah. some reason. Callbacks, callbacks really can make the show, and it, it shows. Yeah. It ties it an act together, and it, it gives some structure. It's not just a series of little jokes, but it it there's beginning, middle, and end, and and closure, right. and it ties up with a nice bow. Yes, um, I, I try to so work the, callbacks in often. Yeah, the most prominent example of that in the material of yours that I've listened to, and I think we're just going to leave this for the audience to go investigate, uh, is the cabriolet, because that joke has like a 25-minute waiting period. Now, you put it in the <laughs> oven, and the timer goes off 25 minutes later, and the, you know, the comic grenade explodes. Cabriolet. So. Well, where the audience can go track that down? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so, okay. they, uh, can so go, as we wrap, they can go to robermack.com. Yes. On that landing page, there are some clips, and there's one called uh, "Travel Stories," ah. and it's in that in that clip. Now, are you affiliated with that website? <laughs> yes, I. Uh, yes. I am. I'm the treasurer of RobertMack.com. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Jeff and I got to take care of a bunch of business before we wrap up the episode. But yep. we want to uh, we want to give you Robert here a chance to. You know, share with our audience, where can they find your material? You're, you're not a guy that works blue. You know, it's a family show. Uh, I don't know if you have any jokes like that, but, you know, people can use their discernment and not get triggered. So yep. where should they go to uh, to find uh, your material? Well, robertmack.com has not only clips that I just mentioned, but it also has a link to my YouTube channel. And I have a bunch of different playlists on my YouTube channel. Some are just jokes. Some are about the time I ran for president. Um, April is is uh, National Humor Month, and last April I had a whole series of of uh, clips uh, every day on on how humor works. And there's also a link to my um, calendar, and they can see where I'm performing. I have a big tour in April. I don't know if this will be out before the beginning of oh, April. Oh yes, yeah, it's coming yep. out right away. Yep. Oh, Next good. Week. Yep. Um, in the Ariz- in in the in Arizona, it's called my World Tour of Arizona Tour Two. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in the Phoenix area, I've got a bunch of shows in the Phoenix area, um, and you can find out all of that on my website, robertmack.com. And great, um, and find out ways how to to get in touch with me, how to book me, how to find out about my schedule, and and links right. to to all of my material. Yeah, and uh, the HR department, um, yeah. you know, especially, would be interested in, in bringing you in. Do you ever come through Michigan? Uh, I have. Uh, again, the last couple of years, everything's been on hold. So, of course, I, right. I did a festival um, in Michigan, and I'm wearing a shirt for it. It's called uh, 
Gilda's oh, yes. last. Gilda's oh, yeah. last. That's right fest. here in Grand Rapids. That's right in our hometown here. Yeah, yeah fabulous. Yes. Um, Except I would, where we are. Yes, you're he's right. holding up the hand, he's ladies the hand. and gentlemen. He knows he's what he's got the Michigan, about. <laughs> the Michigan mitten. I will be in. Um, I'm trying to get work out of them again, but I will be in Detroit at a place called uh, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in May. All of my calendar stuff, you can find out where I'm working. Right. And if there you get on my email list or follow me on social media, I post, hey, I just got booked. I'll be in Grand Rapids in whatever. So if you follow my social media, you'll hear about all of my booking. Right. And that's why um, Aristotle's second, right, the second book of the Poetics, which yeah. is on comedy, that's why it's lost. That's why it's lost. <laughs> that's why it's lost, and that, and that wraps it up. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much, Robert. Thank you. We really appreciate this. You're, and you're maybe we'll welcome. have you back if, if, if you'd like to do that. We'd love to have you back sometime. I, I could talk about comedy uh, all day, so if, if you want to have yeah. another discussion about anything, just keep me in mind. This was a lot of fun. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, Jeff. Well, we got to get out of here. We do. That was great. Yes. Yes. What a funny guy. A funny... And so personable, too. Right. I was a little worried, you know, there's the, you know, that notion that once you explain a joke, you kind of, you kind of suck it dry of its that humor. That happens to me all the time. But this was but this was great. This was a great analysis. And to, and to hear from someone who's so good at it was yes. fascinating. Yeah. And a real down-to-earth kind of guy. Yeah. Loved it. Loved well, it. we got to get out of here, don't we? We do. So before we go, uh, Dave, you want to tell us a little bit about the Moss Method? Yeah, I can do that. If you want to go from neophyte to... Erudite! You can study Greek with me. Go to mossmethod.com. Now, the uh, the former NFL player, Randy Moss, Yes. he has a method, too. He does? I'm not sure what it involves, but don't go there. No. <laughs> go to mossmethod.com. Check out a lot of my free instruction. I've brought 25-plus years of teaching and studying Greek, and uh, you can see the different authors I cover and you get all that for free. But if you want to study Greek with me more intensely, mm-hmm. you can uh, drop down $299. That gets you 40 video lessons, six quizzes, two exams, 40 homework assignments, and most of all, weekly interaction with a Greek expert. And that, that would be you. That's I, no flanky. And also the opportunity to meet people from all over the world doing this, right? Exactly. That's yeah. so cool. We have the Moth method, <laughs> the Moss method office hours, mm-hmm. the Moffis hours each week. Nice. Check it out. All right. So, as always, we got some people to thank. We do. Um, uh, Mishka. Yes. Mishka stitches this all together, makes us sound so much better than we actually stitches are. Stitches this all together, you say. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> she's doing a great job there. We're so, so appreciative how she puts this together. Fine, fine work. Yep. Um, wh- who else? We got uh, well, Scott Van Zen. Yeah, Scott Van Zen with a screaming guitar, the, um, you know, the, the Eddie Van Halen mixed with Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's a lefty. He is, oh, he is a lefty. Yeah, he's a sinister. Like a, like a, a Hendrix himself. Hendrix is a lefty. Yes, Paul, I should Mc, have known Paul McCartney. Uh, some of the great... Are you a lefty, I'm Winkle? not. I wish I was, though. Right. Yeah. So we're thankful for that. Yep. And uh, Ken Tamplin with his Vocal Academy. Uh, he's reviewing some classical, actually, uh, musicians lately. Wow. He's right. got, uh, you know, Pavarotti, Then and Now. Yeah. Andrea Bocelli, Then and Now. Pretty interesting. Fantastic. So KenTamplinVocalAcademy.com. All right, Dave, we got a, um, well, next week. Well, you know, usually we think Agricola, but this is, a, this an, is an audio-only version. There, there won't be a video of this one. Not of this one. But what's coming up next week? Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the assassination of Julius Caesar. Now, audience, I know what you're thinking. It's been done before. Right. Like, Not only has it been done, but it's past the Ides of March. I know exactly. Well, I'm, I feel a little bit of bad, bad about that. However... We're gonna bring we're gonna bring new stuff to it. We're gonna bring our classical, historical, archaeological, linguistic expertise to this. Then um, don't much, for, don't forget goofball dad jokes. Goofball dad jokes. The stuff you're not gonna find on your YouTuber 
flunky historical channel. I'm sensing some indignation here, Winkle. I'm just I'm just trying to head off the the criticisms that yeah. I can already hear coming. Like, yeah, you got to do that. Like, I've heard that story. What are these knuckleheads going to tell me? Well, exactly. just you wait. Yeah, that's the refutatio. We got them in advance. Right. So hey. Uh, audience, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Jeff at adnauseum.com. Don't forget the V if you want to shout out and get some pushback. Yep. Or write to Dave at Dave at adnauseum.com. Again, do not forget that V. Um, and I believe, Dave, you got the gustatory parting shot. Or I do. We're going to do something different. We're this doing week. something different okay. this week for the gustatory parting shot. We're going to give it to our friend Robert Mack. Fantastic. So as we go out, he's going to give you a rapid fire uh, set of I do, really funny jokes. I do have jokes. a lot of Thanks fans all over, and they seem to have a short uh, attention span. So I brought some jokes uh, for them, and we'll, we'll finish with some of these uh, jokes. So give me 60 seconds on the clock, and go. How many landlords does it take to screw in a light bulb? None. Also, she won't fix the sink. <laughs> Next time you get some round-trip airline tickets and they ask what your final destination is, say here. It's a, it's a round trip. I don't have time to explain each of these to you guys. Four times three is 12. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Never buy sushi at the 99 cent store. True story. I wish I was the guy who invented hotcakes because you know how well those things have sold. Yeah. Like wildfire. Pass. I went to a silent auction. I got a dog whistle and two mimes. I used to be a paper boy, then I became a real boy. <laughs> this one's really good or really bad, depending on whether you get it or not. So it's all on your shoulders. So listen up extra close. I went shopping at a cherry stand and a microphone store. Bought a bing, bought a boom. <laughs> Once when I was littler, we got a dog and a cat. The next day we named the dog Curiosity. Didn't have to name the cat. I went to a dyslexic masseuse, really rubbed me the wrong way. And finally, I went to the bank the other day and said to the teller, I need $50. The teller said, withdrawal. So I said, I need $50. That's it for me, I'm Robert Mack. 